it's this bizarre situation where there's literally billions of dollars locked up that everyone can see and has never been used. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hello and welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. This is yet another exciting episode in the podcast bonus track where I talk with experts about the hottest trends in the real estate market. And today we're going to talk with DJ Scruggs from Real Blue Spruce about a subject that not many really know a lot about, blockchain and real estate. Hey DJ, welcome to the show. Hi Ellie, thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. It's so great to have you on the show. And I think this subject is uh, kind of like a black box, at least to me. I have some technical background and blockchain is definitely something that I think a lot of people would love to know more about. It's kind of a buzzword, but I think with your experience, it will be very, very valuable to our listeners. Sure. So let's start by, you know, just telling us a little bit about, you know, your background and uh, your experience. Sure. So my background is I've been doing real estate for about three years now. Mostly, I was never an agent or a broker. I've always done investing, initially fix and flip and now multifamily. But before that, though, I spent about 20 years doing tech startups of various flavors. I started in Chicago. This is back in 96. I started a software company there. I sold it to a company in Boulder, Colorado, and that's what brought me out to Colorado and I've been here ever since. And in the interim, I either founded, co-founded, or was a very early employee for about seven, I guess, startups. And, you know, startups, there's a lot of romance around it, you know, uh, and glamour, but it's not glamorous at all. <laughs> it's a lot yeah. of hard work <laughs> and most of the time they fail. And it's kind of a casino business. You either make a lot of money doing it or you make no money doing it. And, you know, I had some successes, but I also had some failures and I just got sort of burned out on the, um, the all or nothing nature of it. And I got interested in real estate and realized this is a much more, I won't say it's an easy business, but it's much more predictable. There's a lot more that's in your control compared to startups where every single day, you know, Google might just launch a competing product that's free. Or, you know, someone's going to try to poach your, your top developer and, and hire them away from you. So just there's a lot of stress that goes with it that you don't get with, with real estate. Mm -hmm. And how did you get into blockchain? So to be honest, a few years ago, I had a friend who he basically used Bitcoin to buy drugs. <laughs> that was, this is five years ago. And I'd heard about Bitcoin. I thought it was an interesting concept. And I had this realization, I was like, if he's buying drugs with Bitcoin, there's probably a lot of other people buying drugs with Bitcoin. And we know throughout history that there are certain types of contraband that will always be there, drugs just being one of them. And I thought, you know what, 
maybe I'll just buy some just for the heck of it, right? And I did, you know, and it's, it's the kind of thing I tell anyone who's interested, if you're gonna buy a cryptocurrency, only use as much as you're willing to lose, you know? So I bought about $1,000 worth. I felt like, you know, if that doubles, I'll be really happy. And if I lose it all, it won't suck too bad. And that was in 2014. And so that initial stake grew from about 1,000 to about 60,000. And so then I was like, wow, this is real money. And I sold a lot of that. And then I used a lot of that to buy Ethereum, which is my kind of favorite cryptocurrency for now. I got involved, I guess it was probably last year I started, you know, the, the money had really turned into a lot. And I was like, well, there's something going on here. And so I spent a lot of time just researching the technology and, and learning about the different economic drivers of it. And it's a nutty landscape. It reminds me a lot of the dot-com back in 99, 2000. But I do think there's something to it that we should be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. So what exactly is blockchain? So the best way to think of it is it's a distributed network where no single entity can take control of it, right? So compare it to something like Google, where maybe you store, you know, we'll obviously use it for email, obviously we use it for search. We at Blue Spruce use it a lot for a lot of our documents we store in Google. And if Google went out of business or decided they didn't like us for some reason, they could just shut all of that down. With blockchain, it's kind of like a replication of Google across literally millions of computers. So if you shut down one or two or even a thousand computers, the asset that you have there, a cryptocurrency in most cases, is still replicated. So there's no single way for, for some actor to shut it down. That's what it comes mm -hmm. down to. Got it. So if you're storing your information with a blockchain technology, do you feel safe that you're you know, private or personal or commercial information is, is actually out there if it's confidential? It's as confidential as the platform allows. So there's a, a misnomer, and I felt for this too. I mean, a lot of people thought Bitcoin was untraceable and anonymous. Well, it turns out it is traceable. It's very hard to trace. But if you have the resources that, for example, the FBI has, you can use it to track someone down, which is what happened with Silk Road, if anyone remembers them. They were a, uh, basically a black market where people like my friend were buying drugs. And the guy who owned that, he was able to be tracked down and he's in prison now. So most blockchains are not anonymous. And that's a misnomer. A lot of people think they are. However, there are some that are truly anonymous. Zcash is probably the most well-known. Monero is another one. But it turns out most people aren't using it that way. It's more expensive. And when I say expensive, you can think in terms of computational resources, right? It requires more computer cycles to do it. And so a lot of people aren't using it because it costs them more to do that way. But it can be anonymous. And I suspect it's the kind of thing that 10 years from now, most, most transactions will be either 100% anonymous or shielded in such a way that's extremely difficult for an attacker to find out who you are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. So how can you actually combine blockchain and real estate? How does blockchain can be implemented in the real estate arena? So right now, not much. There's some interesting projects going on with it. So the most, probably the most notable one is, is one called Propy. That's spelled P-R-O-P-Y. And what they are attempting to do is to uh, change land title records 
from municipal databases into blockchain assets. If you've bought and sold real estate, you know that oftentimes you have to pay quite a bit in title insurance. Basically, title insurance is just guaranteeing that you know the person who owns this property really actually owns this property, right? They're not lying or, or committing fraud or whatever. And that data is stored in databases, and it's, it's typically states and counties that host that data. Uh, well, states and counties are, are typically not the most secure when it comes to technology. And so the, the idea is if you use blockchain, you have a more secure technology that's, that's less expensive because now the counties don't have to maintain an entire cyber infrastructure to protect their databases. Instead, it's stored publicly and anyone can see the data, but they can't change it. That's probably, I guess, one thing I, I kind of glided over with blockchain is it's the term they use is immutable, meaning unchangeable. So when a record is put there, no one can go in and tamper with it and change it. Now they can append to it, right? They could have a transaction that they append to it that says, you know, this person did own this real estate, but they conveyed title to someone else. And now that person owns the real estate, but the chain of the history of the asset would always be unchangeable. Got it. Do you think that we are close to an era where we can actually purchase real estate with blockchain or with Bitcoin or any other, you know, one of those platforms? Sure. So people already do that. They've already bought real estate with Bitcoin. It's one of those things, though, that gets more attention than it should. It's not that big a deal because because in that scenario, it's really like saying I bought some real estate with euros. Really, it's just a currency. It's not, there's nothing really especially meaningful about doing that. Now, what Proppy and others want to do is to get it to where all the municipalities are using blockchains for title registries. And that would definitely, that would lower the insurance costs. That would make it an easier process overall, getting records filed and updated and all that. Where I think the, the real opportunity is and we're not there yet, is uh, you'll sometimes hear in the community something called tokenized assets, right? So if you think about the stock market, a stock is a tokenized asset. You basically, by owning a share of a company, you own a teeny tiny piece of that company. And that's backed up by the force of law, right? So if there's some dividends that can be that are being paid on that stock, and for whatever reason, the company says, you don't get your dividends, and I show, look, I own a share of this company, you have to pay me my dividends, then there's you know a legal framework around that. The idea with blockchain is you can do the same thing, except you won't need the legal part. It'll all be in computers and replicated globally. So there's no doubt who owns that share of the company. Now, with the stock market, you know, the, the process of, of getting your, your company listed, of course, is a, is a very onerous process. You have to comply with a lot of SEC regulations and, you know, go through audits and, and just, you know, it's, it's, it costs a fortune to go public, basically. With real estate, we kind of do the same thing now, except we don't list them. So with a syndication where we, which is what we do, we'll aggregate a bunch of investors money together and go buy a property and then pay them dividends going forward. That's basically an unlisted security. And that's all done through paper. And it's anyone who's ever done it knows that it's annoying. Yes. You know, there's a lot of documents that get emailed back and forth and then you right. have to get wire transfers done. Right. And it's just a painful process. So I think there's a great opportunity there for blockchain technologies to be applied. And I fully expect they will within the next few years. 
because it just, it makes things so much faster and easier. And the only downside right now with blockchain is the user experience is pretty bad. So for a user to send money, on one end, it's miraculous because it's fast, right? You could send literally a billion dollars in Bitcoin to someone else and it would take 10 minutes. You know, if you tried to do that through the the Federal Reserve System, first of all, they wouldn't do it. They'd want to know all (laughs) kinds of things about who you are and why you're transferring this much money. Mm -hmm. And if you were doing it overseas, it's even worse. So if the money's coming from overseas to the US and vice versa, there's, there's all kinds of laws and regulations that prevent that. Now, blockchain doesn't have any of that. That said, the SEC has been kind of ambivalent about how they treat these assets. For the most part, they've been hands-off when it comes to those types of scenarios, just transferring money. Where they get more interested and I would say aggressive is when you're trying to tokenize an asset using blockchain technologies. And the rules are still being figured out there, but I think real estate is the ripest for it, especially syndications, because syndications have been around forever. And if you compare the value of commercial real estate in this country to the value of the stock market, it's actually more. There's something like $11 trillion in commercial real estate. There's no reason a substantial chunk of those assets can't be digitized and traded using uh, blockchain technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And you talked a little bit about what was you know, the downside, the upside and the downside of using blockchain technology in real estate. Are there any dangers or risks associated with using blockchain with, in real estate? Sure. So right now there's not a, I have not seen at least a, a syndication that allows you to use a blockchain type technology. Now it wouldn't be hard because ultimately syndication comes down to something that's printed on paper, right? And you can print whatever you want on paper, including you know, your private key address for sending and, or your, or your public key address for sending and receiving funds. So there's no theoretical problem with that. It's just that most people just haven't thought to do it. Or a lot of people think, they incorrectly think that blockchain's anonymous. Why would I ever use this? Well, blockchain can be anonymous, but most of the time it's not. I think the risks are having sent money through, through these technologies. It's darn scary, right? So if I want to send you an email, I type out your email address and I send it. If I want to send you money through this, I have to copy what's called your public key, which is a 64 uh, character string that is unintelligible. It's intentionally unintelligible. So like if I'm typing your email address and I notice that that doesn't, that's not right. I, I had the wrong domain or I misspelled her name and it'll bounce back to me saying, hey, you, you sent this to the wrong person. That won't happen with, um, with cryptocurrency. It will simply just disappear. So disappear as in the money disappears yes it leaves your account and goes into no man's land i would say that that's a pretty significant risk right there if if i miss one letter then my money is is somewhere in the you know in the system somewhere exactly where does it go well (laughs) it goes nowhere it's recorded as a transaction but there's no recipient so it basically says you don't have this money anymore but no one has this money anymore. So how can you mitigate the risk? Well, so this is where, this is why I think we're a few years away, is it needs to be as easy as sending an email with all the safeguards that go with sending an email. And that's a user experience problem. So 
I fully expect that Facebook's going to roll something out, you know, because they already allow you to send money back and forth. That's actually a lost leader for them. That costs them money to do it. So I would, I fully expect that they, and you know, supposedly they're working on blockchain. They don't say much about it, but I would expect them to do it. I would expect all, I would expect Google to be doing something. And then there's people who are working on the, doing startups that are, that are trying to do it as well. So until that problem is solved, I just don't see a lot of people using it because it's, it's intimidating. You know, it's scary to think your money could get lost and you can't like, like I've actually sent money to the wrong address before. Fortunately, it was an address that existed and I knew who it was and I was able to get it back. Wait, how did you accidentally send it to someone else and then knew who it was? The odds of something like that yeah. to happen. So I was copying and pasting. So mm-hmm. I copied and pasted from an address I had sent money to before. Oh, got it, got and it. And I just okay. had the wrong one, you know, because I have, I have a list of the last 20 transactions, right? And it was not, you know, it was, it was about $10,000. So there was an oh my God moment. And fortunately, I knew who it was and was able to get it back. But I don't want to brag, but I've been using technology for a long time, right? I've written <laughs> yeah. hundreds of thousands of lines of code. You know, I'm extremely comfortable with technology, but even I can make such a boneheaded mistake like that. So there's going to be a lot, need to be a lot more safeguards in to prevent that. I guess one other risk is the way these technologies work is you, you have a wallet and you have what's called a passphrase for your wallet. And so it's not like a password, you know, six to eight characters. It's actually a list of like 12 words, right? And what you should do is write those down somewhere and probably duplicate it and then put it somewhere that even that even if your place burns down, it will survive, like put it in a safe deposit box. Because if you lose the passphrase, you have also locked yourself out of your wallet. And there's no way to reset right. there's the no password. Reset wow. Password. So, but, but someone there is getting the money, right? Or it, it's just... No, it's just in a wallet that's not accessible. And some theorize, like you may have heard of Satoshi Nakamoto. That's the, the person who supposedly created Bitcoin. No one mm-hmm. knows who he supposedly. or they are. Yeah. You know, one theory is that it was actually a collective of several people who did it. Mm. And then they burned the passphrase because the first several blocks of Bitcoin... They call it a a blockchain because it's a chain of blocks. These are cryptographic signatures that have been chained together, right? The first, I don't know, two dozen of Bitcoin are all Satoshi blocks. And there's more after that, but the, the initial several were just created by him. And they have never been transacted against, right? And those are worth several billion dollars right now. So it's this bizarre situation where there's literally billions of dollars locked up that everyone can see and has never been used. And, you know, so one theory is that it's one person and he or she is just rich enough already, they don't want to touch it. Another is that they, they burned the passphrase or lost the passphrase. Certainly, if there's ever any transaction against those blocks, that is a historic event. You know, I mean, it was 10 years ago, he created Bitcoin. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's part of the kind of the mystique and part of why Bitcoin is so attractive is it's just yeah. got this crazy origin story. <laughs> I cannot imagine having access to several billions of Bitcoin mm-hmm. slash dollars and then either burning or losing, you know, the passcode. Yeah. Ooh, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. Well, supposedly, so famously in the, in the social network, the, the two twins, the Winklevoss twins, I don't know if you saw that movie, but 
you know, they claimed to have invented Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg stole it from them and they sued him. Yeah. And Facebook ultimately settled out of court and paid them something like $30 million. Mm-hmm. Well, supposedly they took most of that and used it to buy Bitcoin. And it was a very smart bet because it came to be worth over a billion dollars. And they supposedly have their passphrases copied and duplicated in like three different safe deposit boxes on different continents. Very smart. (laughs) (laughs) All right, great. That was a very good overview of the blockchain technology and Bitcoin and the connection to real estate. Thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing that with, with me and my listeners. And before we go, I just wanted to ask you one of the questions that I ask all my guests. Mm-hmm. If you could look back and give you know, a piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be? Oh, real estate much sooner. <laughs> Far and away. I mean, I didn't really... And just to be clear, I was a music major in college, right? So when I was 20, I had no idea what I was going to do when I got out of college. I mean, I knew I was, ironically, I knew I wouldn't be a professional musician. (laughs) And that was about it. And real estate, you know, I just had this idea that only rich people can do it. And that's absolutely not true. You don't have to be rich to do real estate. And there's also a lot of creativity involved with it. I had no idea that there's so many creative ways you can get involved in real estate. And, you know, it's not a get a rich, get rich quick scheme, but it's definitely a get rich slowly and pretty reliably too. You know, if you follow the rules and the rules being just, you know, rules of thumb about how best to value properties, how to add value to them, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Whereas I did tech and a lot of people were rocket scientists. (laughs) So definitely I wish I'd done real estate a lot sooner than I did. Got it. Got it. All right. DJ, where can our listeners find you? Uh, just go to realbluespruce.com. That's real like real estate, blue like the color, and spruce like the tree. And there you can see some of the properties we own and the types of investments we do. All right. Great. Thank you again for being on the show and educating me and my listeners. I definitely know a little bit more about blockchain now. So thank you so much. That was great. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.